0: This is Season 1, Episode 3 of Mastering the RPG, a tabletop RPG podcast all about upping your tabletop role-playing game. Our episode this week is Using Notice and Perception in Games. Are we doing it wrong? Or the one skill to rule them all? Or searching the dead bodies is easy? Welcome to Mastering the RPG. Again, it's a tabletop RPG podcast. We're really about maximizing game, whether you're a player or a game master. We've got advice, ideas, cool stuff found, and some strong opinions, and we hope everybody gets something out of it. I'm Carl with my co-hosts, Eric and James, and you can find information about us at masteringtherpg.com. That's all one word. And if you've got questions, comments, you want us to arbitrate arguments with your friends, whatever, you can send a note to Game Master at MasteringTheRPG.com. Again, both of them are all one word. So, hey, gents, let's get right into it this week. Um, And I think, James, you're going to be uh, leading us off. What kind of things have you been up to?
1: Uh, G'day. Hi, everyone. Um, Yeah, I've been, as per usual, running games, uh, or rather writing games. Uh, No actual games this week. Um, it's vacation time here in wow. Australia, so uh, this is one of those great times where you get to sit down and prepare for the next 10 weeks of role-playing games that I do. So I've, I've kind of halfway through my 70-session preparation for the next few months, which is <laughs> kind of a bit fun. So I am uh, neck deep in writing some 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons scenarios for uh, Feywild games. I'm doing some Storm King's Thunder stuff. And uh, and starting a, a brand new campaign for the very uh, the very iconic Curse of Strahd for the fourth time. So uh, dusting off my terrible Transylvanian accent. So yeah. Uh- Deep, can, in can research, deep in research, deep in fun. Get a sample <laughs> no, right no, Please? you mean not? Oh, terrible! <laughs> no, no, we did back since last week. We're not doing it again this week. <laughs> so, no, it's one of those great times where you where you don't have games to run, but you get to let the imagination run wild and, and Sweet. do all that great writing stuff. So, it's good fun. Yeah.
0: I know Eric's been letting his uh, imagination run run wild. So, uh, what have you little, been up a to? A little
2: too wild, some would say. Uh, yeah, I just did part one of our crossover between rpg at home and and uh, tabletop tango for our one-shot savage world agents of woe uh that was fun that was illuminating we'll talk about it a lot in the next episode i think um also doing a little bit of writing uh on the side looking at to do a setting or something so I've just been tink- tinkering with that right now as far as games go cool uh personally i'm still trying to uh we got a kind of a
0: a big moment in my campaign I'm running that Eric you're in and that's coming up and hopefully that'll go uh-huh. well. And uh, at the time of this recording, I'm still working on my dragon adventure for Gen Con, which uh, did a playtest, went reasonably yeah, that was good. Very fun. Yeah. I think very there's, fun. Uh, and I appreciate all the input and I think I need some tweaks there. Um, need to throw in a dramatic task, I think um, to make it that yeah. much more interesting. So, <laughs> and this is Savage Worlds. So yeah, we've all been pretty busy. But you know, I think it's uh time to look at our regular segment where we look at something super cool, a cool thing found. And I'm going to turn cool that up. Op- cool stuff.
1: Cool yeah. stuff. Cool nice stuff. stuff. We have to do that now. Cool, cool stuff. stuff. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to take this one. Uh, my cool stuff this week, uh, and uh, to be fair, it's been a couple of weeks since this little beauty arrived on my uh, doorstep, but I've been desperate to talk to people about it because I think it's it's just amazing. Uh, it's the second edition of a fan, or not second edition, but the second book in a series uh, by a fantastic writer named Keith Amman. This is a fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons book per se, but I've got to say you could use it for just about any fantasy-like role-playing game. Munn writes a series based on his blog called The Monsters Know What They're Doing, and this, this edition is called More The Monsters Know What They're Doing. It's the second one in the series. Uh, for those who play 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, it's dealing with the monsters of Mordenkainen's and Volo's Guide to Monsters. Um, and introduces oh. another 190 monsters for his wonderful <laughs> series now for those that don't know about uh the monsters know what they're doing this is something that i think has been uh, a game changer for how i uh run games and and i'm not alone uh, i noticed on the blurb of this book uh r.a salvatore who wrote uh the crystal shard and Drizzt Do'Urden, and is one of the kind of founding uh, writers of, uh, of old school Dungeons and Dragons says this book almost instantly made me a better dungeon master. And I've got to say, I, I wholeheartedly agree. What Keith does in these books is provide tactical information and wonderful uh, kind of breakdown on how to make monsters effective and how to make them useful and how mm-hmm. to make sense of what can often be really complicated stat blocks. Where you're not quite sure how to use a monster or how to use an ability or what ability you should use over another or in particular if you've got lots of spells what spell would that monster use in any one time and these books are amazing he's done two of them the first one came out about five years ago he's just released this latest version um, they're about 600 pages each so they're, they're massive um, and they break down every single monster in the official Dungeons and Dragons, and give you some tactical information, a little bit of theory, theory crafting, um, just to guide dungeon masters on how to use these monsters better. Oh, and they are really, really extraordinary. Um, a bit of a. I'm going to do the old, old school, old school. Grey-haired guy and say, look, back in my day, uh, in the old school monster manuals and the monsters compendiums and things, there was all, used to be a lot more detail about monsters than is currently in the in the current monster manuals and the current stat blocks. Where they might have talked about habitat or tactics or organisation of a of a of a society, a lot of that's started to come out of of the official books of, of fifth edition. And I think what Keith does is bring a lot of that stuff back in, so that you can use the information. a a lot a lot better um i've got to say the first time i read the first book the monsters know what they're doing uh i just looked at the goblins and changed entirely the way i used goblins to the point where i tpk'd the next party that came up against goblins because my tactics was way too (laughs) effective in in lost (laughs) minds and found delta um and and they're just wonderful um i've got a little example here and i thought i'd just read it so you know just to give you guys an idea about what the way keith approaches this um In this instance, uh, he's talking about shadows. Our shadows, of course, are are strange, mysterious, ethereal creatures. They've got a number of abilities, and Keith would say things like this. Uh, First, it lies in wait for a victim. When one appears, it will use its bonus action and its movement to hide, then approach with stealth to within reach of the target. If it's not spotted, it will attack the same round, rolling with advantage using its strength drain action. But if the party notices it, it keeps moving to try again the next round. The beauty of this tactic is even if the PC spots the shadow, the DM can say, well, you just saw a shadow move past you. Not indicating that it's a creature, but it's just a shadow. It's that kind of stuff that he will use for every single monster in every single page. And I've got to say it's absolutely invaluable. Really, really good book, um, and and I thoroughly recommend it. The new book, More Monsters Know What They're Doing, He's adding how to combine monsters. So how would you have uh, goblins and wolves fighting together? He deals a lot about summoning and conjuring. So if you've got a, a player that conjures a beast or a demon or a, or, a, or or that kind of stuff, um, 584 pages of, of really wonderful tactics. Um, he's also started to list some of his house rules, um, and he's got a great section on how to use counterspell and bits and pieces. But really, really good. If you're if you're Opening up one of those monster manuals, looking at a stat block, going, oh, I have no idea how to how to use this effectively. These these are great books to use. He he has a website uh, called themonstersknow.com because these books came from his blog, um, but you can also order them from pretty much anywhere. We, we get them here in Australia, so I'm sure that um, our US viewers will, will use them, but thoroughly recommend it. Keith Ullman, Monsters Know What They're Doing and More Monsters Know What They're Doing.
2: Now is there any mention of like pitfalls for monsters? because one of the things besides not knowing to do with the monster, I think on the other side, a lot oftentimes newer GMs might pick a monster that's like you know that combines with another one and it's really hard on the party or too hard or if you have a magic heavy party, this monster might be more effective. Does he mention any of those or is it just kind of how to use it the most effectively
1: too? a, a little bit um okay. n- not as much he he will in each of the sections, if there is a specific weakness, he will say. If this happens, then do something different. So, for example, uh, in the in the piece on zombies, he says zombies will attack relentlessly unless they get hit by radiant damage, or they get, or or someone holds out a holy symbol, and then they'll then they'll change their tactics. So he uses. Uh, what might occur if if a weakness is exploited. He'll also okay. talk about uh, what is a threshold where, based on their intelligence, if they take this many wounds or if two of their their, their group are, uh, are incapacitated, what what might they do tactically as a group? So, yeah, they, they, he uses a little bit of that stuff as well.
2: It, it's, okay, so and so for... Sorry, go, go on. Well, I was
1: just
0: going to say, it sounds like this would be really good for a new DM, or is it still kind of experience somebody who's experienced where they're really just trying to do better Um, would it be good for a new dungeon master yeah
1: absolutely both i i find every time i'm using a new monster now i'll i'll have a look to see what his advice is Mm. Um, particularly with spells so if you've got a uh a a duerga for example a dark dwarf uh might have four or five different spells Keith's advice will be round one, try this. Round two, try this. Round three, if this doesn't work, try this. So, kind of, he's done the theory crafting behind it a little bit to kind of get the tactics of how you might combine different spells and abilities together to be the most effective. So, um, and that's the kind of thing that even experienced dungeon masters you'll you'll look at a stat block and go, oh, I think I will know what to do here. I think I get an idea about or about what it is he's actually done a bit more research and a bit more thinking about it to save you the trouble of of needing to. And uh,
2: you did mention that while it's 5e, obviously specifics, uh, you know, uh, it could be useful for other types of systems just because he gets into the like psychology and maybe the culture and how this monster like not just its abilities but the way that you run it makes it feel different so even very if i much. was playing savage yeah. Worlds to pathfinder looking at zombies be like oh that's a really good idea i could incorporate that into my game very
1: much so so okay. for for a lot of the generic srd stuff where you know uh these the that the, yeah. uh, many different systems might be using these you can still look up the same the same so there's great um, and, I, you know, i just quickly peruse the undead section just to give me a, a sense of it. You know, looking at skeletons, skeletons, well, were they an archer or were they melee? Do they have armour? Do they have not armour? How will they interact? Well, that, that can be generic. You know, you don't yeah. you don't necessarily need the fifth edition rules to do that. Um, and for a lot of these things where you might have a, a were-rat or a werewolf or vampires or any of that stuff, a lot of the tropes are very similar. So, um, yeah. yes, they might not have the exact wording, but the the tactics or who they might approach or or incapacitate first or how they might engage in a fight will be very similar, very, very similar. So um, I, I would recommend it to everyone. He's also done another book, which I haven't touched on yet, Um which is called Live to Tell the Tale, which is combat tactics for PCs. So it's the player version of this book. Um, a couple of my players in my Rhyme of the Frostmaiden game have bought it and and love it as well. And I've got to say it, it changes the manner in which they they fight effectively as a team. So if you've got a more kind of strategic-minded group, um, he, he does have a player's guide as well, which, um, which certainly ups the strategic element of, of your play style too.
0: It's just amazing. It's almost like academic research. It's like uh <laughs> research the topic and here's a treatise of all the things <laughs> that they learned. That's pretty cool.
2: <laughs> I, I, I think you made a good I, I do think it's unfortunate that all the, you know, most of the monster manuals from all the different systems that I played or looked at, all the different monster blocks whatever, they do fail to kind of mention well, maybe here's like a, a sentence on what's a good way to utilize the this monster, or uh, again, like here's maybe something to look out for if if your party has this. So I think that is something that is kind of missing, and that would be really helpful. I don't know why games haven't kept that up or readopted it because H-Count. it seems like something for. Yeah. yeah i guess I, but you know a yeah. sentence, people want like, more monsters not better fleshed out monsters more lore <laughs> i don't know you can you can maybe like shorten the lore a little bit and give us some actual practical advice on running them because i mean for something like pathfinder second edition right those monsters are very Complex and I, th- there's a lot of pitfalls going both ways for new GMs and even more experienced GMs. So I think that would have been very useful for them to have something like this, or just to do it in the stat block itself. So that's really cool. I yeah, really, absolutely. Really like I mean, approach. it's
1: a thousand yeah. bucks worth, like a thousand bucks, a thousand pages of info. <laughs> like you know,
2: dollars. Uh, oh my <laughs> god. A thousand, no, no, no. Uh,
1: and and a great example is like the Lich, which is kind of an iconic kind of undead spell casting with a, a spell list and ability list as long as your arm. He's done 16 pages on it. Oh my like, god! This is how you play a lich, you know. And and I used it against my Curse of Strahd game uh, uh, last year, and it was terrifying for the group. So you know, if if you are if you are really wanting to challenge your players, uh, do this. I will say, Eric played in a game with me last year where I ambushed the group with some Yeth hounds, and I, I I used their playbook exactly on that killed oh, two npcs knocked another unconscious it was nasty <laughs> so if and 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 i'm not saying be sadistic but if you want no, to absolutely that was a really good you, fight that was
2: yeah we were we were that was tense we were we were like super i think that was probably the most worried we've been in a fight um if if it wasn't for my heroic turret that i later named that became a character because he was so heroic then i think we would have like we really feared we were going to go down so that was a good fight yeah
1: yeah yeah. Wow. so challenging players, making them making your monsters do cool stuff. Check out these books, they're really good.
0: Awesome. Yeah, they sound sound fantastic. Um A lot of pages to <laughs> um but unfortunately it's more of a reference and you can, based on the monster you're using, pull out what you need. Um so hey, is everybody... oh, hell yeah, you
1: wouldn't you wouldn't read this cover to cover, but you certainly can oh I'm I'm using this monster. Let's look up what keeps says. Yeah. It's kind of the way you use them. Yeah.
0: So, hey, sounds great. Um, let's get to the main topic. Mastering the with Carl and James. Yeah. Okay. Um, hey, James, main topic. Uh, we're going to let you run it this week. Um, take her away.
1: Yeah. Uh, we thought we'd have a bit of a chat about. The, I mean, let, let's face it, it's the master skill of role playing <laughs> games. So, I mean, everyone's got it. Everyone, it ends up putting points in it. Most people are proficient in it. This is your perception skill or notice skill if you're using savage worlds or spot hidden skill if you're playing call of cthulhu or investigation skill if you're playing world of darkness or you name it every game's got one which is the i want to notice what's around me i want to discover the clue i want to see the guy that's ambushing i want to spot the secret door i want to read the invisible writing i want to see the invisible assailant coming up against me What do I see? And I guess for perception skills and for role-playing games, this is a critical skill or a critical element of what we do because, let's face it, everything we do as a dungeon master is describing to our players what they experience in the world. And rather than telling them everything, here's all the secrets. There has to be some mechanic where a player, based on their skill or ability, discovers information in the game world. Teases out a clue, teases out a bit of information, sees something that might be amiss, that we can compare different characters, different non player characters together. So I thought, uh, we thought that we would have a bit of a chat about the big one this week the perception. And uh, I've reached out to a couple of other Dungeon Masters I play with, and some players that have played in my games, some uh, some DMs that I've played in their games. We had a bit of a chat about, uh, you know, how the perception work a little bit. But I thought, uh, and I thought I'd bring some of their comments and, and questions to the table. But I, I guess for me, I just wanted to open it up to start with. And one thing I've noticed in a lot of my games is almost everyone puts points in it. Almost everyone chooses proficiency in it why do you guys think the players feel the need that you have to be good at perception why 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 do do you think the players put such high stake onto this skill
2: i think because it's the most used skill out of combat i mean it's it's and it's the one that's reliable you know sometimes you might take a skill and not know how much it will come up like perception's always going to come up and it's always going to be often critical to either furthering the narrative as far as you know, looking for clues or something or, you know, uh, spotting hidden dangers leading up to a combat or in every mode of play, social uh, combat, you know, uh, exploration, like it's always kind of usually in the center or near center. So it is kind of players feel like if I don't take this, I'm just going to miss out on a lot, Yeah. Um, which I think is often not, you know, I think that's often a mistake to do. I mean, personally... I will take perception often, but sometimes I don't. And it's a really fun thing to do and, and to kind of switch it. it. It's funny, in your game, James, why while while my character is playing a wannabe private investigator. You know, he's amazing at investigation, but I specifically did not take perception because yeah. I thought it fit his character and it would be kind of an interesting playstyle because he is kind of that absent-minded, uh, you know, professor uh, is. So I, I think that's something to encourage players to do. But yeah, that's why I think... Um, I'll uh, switch it over to Carl. I,
0: I think it hits, a, hits on the head pretty well. One of the things I look at is it, it packs a lot of stuff into it. Um, yeah. You even mentioned that, James, you know, finding things, recognizing from a social side. There's a lot of stuff packed in there versus maybe some other skills. Um, you know, in, in the Savage Worlds, you know, there are skills like shooting. It, we wouldn't do a whole episode on shooting necessarily right (laughs) um because there's so much packed into notice perception all those other skills um that's why people put points in because like eric you said you'll get left out because there'll be a lot of questions asked or a lot of hey can you roll for this and they just won't be they won't be participating in uh, the process so there's a lot there
1: it's funny too in some ways i i The experience I'm having with 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, and I do see it a little bit in Call of Cthulhu as well, is the primacy of perception also changes the entirety of the character. So if you look at something like 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons where perception is linked to their wisdom score, people will very rarely use wisdom as their dump stat because they don't want to have negatives on perceiving things so instead they'll go to intelligence and oh, i'm not that intelligent or i'm not that charismatic or i'm not that strong do you guys find that in savage worlds as well or other systems where people aren't allocating whole swathes of skills because they must take perception that they must not have a penalty on those
2: well it's interesting i mean when you when you think about different editions and the more kind of D20 mechanical ones like Savage Worlds, I also play a lot of Pathfinder 2e. Have a very different approach. I mean, Savage Worlds, even if you dump smarts, you can you can invest in notice. It's it's kind of expensive to do it. Pathfinder 2e went the way of. It's really interesting that perception is completely hard locked to classes. While you can put points into wisdom, actually increasing perception, you can't do it. It's if a class certain classes get better perception, um, but I mean. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think with 5e, I think also the problem with wisdom, just put it, is because of wisdom saving throws, right, too? Like, those are yeah. brutal, more brutal than, than say, charisma or intelligence. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, it does, it definitely does define, I mean, in Savage Worlds, we have smarts kind of being linked to, like, you know, arcane backgrounds, even if you're a spirit-based one, like you you were experiencing, right? So yeah. I think that do, that is an issue, for sure. I think that definitely is an issue where people are less likely to dump something just because of perception. And when in a game where perception might be the only skill, you know, versus you know, 5e, which has perception and insight wisdom that has investigation with intelligence, it's even worse, you know, to happen. So Savage worlds, I, I rarely see people, you know, people usually have at least a D six and notice Carl. I don't know if you think the same, but yeah. Uh, well, especially now that it's one of the core, you're always going to have yeah some notice,
0: but D4. I think yeah. the, the thing about Savage worlds, again, that's the game I play most is there's really not a lot of dump stats because generally they're all used for something. Um, But people will invest minimally to have some notice because (laughs) even in Savage Worlds, there's the notice. And I think we'll talk a little bit about where notice might be misused or perception misused. There's still a lot of questions on calling for notice rolls, maybe when they're not necessary or whatever. So people feel, again, they need to be there if they can. Otherwise, they can't roll at the time or be part of the conversation um, about what's found or what people are looking for, that sort of thing.
1: And of course, we're talking about perception or notice in, in Savage Worlds, but a lot of these systems have a lot of different but same kind of uh, mechanics around a lot of these skills. So, uh, Dungeons and Dragons have has perception plus investigation, Call of Cthulhu has. Uh, spot hidden but also listen which is a different a different kind of perception uh there's uh there's insight as well if you want to notice things within a social context uh investigation is is a big one in world of darkness but also uh, games like um blades in the dark and other other skills uh uh, has this kind of expanded out for a bit more than, than what it might've uh, used to have been? I mean, I, I remember old school Dungeons and Dragons where there wasn't a perception per nope. se. There was find, remove traps, which was a percentage <laughs> chance that only rogues could do. Everything else was like, well, it, and, you just, and, you just fall into it. And low level you know?
0: rogues weren't that good at it either. Unfortunately, if you
1: yeah. a low level, I have a 4% chance of finding a trap. Oh, yeah. And God. that was the
0: thing about <laughs> old school games, right? OSR. It's, it's your talent. This is the player versus um, character skill. You would say, "I noticed something because I told the game master I'm looking under the bed and I'm poking around to see if I found a trap door." And, and it'd be very, very. You'd have to be specific. Or game master goes, "Oh, you never looked in a drawer. Too bad for you. You didn't find what you what yeah. you were looking for." So, the new games, I think they help a little more. Well, it's good to go the other way a little bit, <laughs> but not you know not do everything with these these checks. So
2: yeah, that, that's a good point that you brought up. Is and I mean, we might talk about this more later, but I I am definitely in the other side of the camp, the, the newer side, and I think that GMs get lost on using too many notice rolls and like you said, looking in a certain drawer. Like why? If they're searching mm-hmm. the room, let them search the room. If if they're searching the body. Did we need to I think we'll talk about this more, but that's a big, <laughs> big hangup for me. So we'll move on.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and we'll get to that. Uh, yes, the the uh, hiding things behind dice rolls. So uh, one way I thought we might look at this discussion is let's have a look at the two big ways that people. Uh, really use these roles in a game? Uh, and then I've got a few questions, like I said, that, that a couple of Dungeon Masters have posed to me. Some of them are a bit specific to 5th edition, but I'm sure that we could we could make them a little bit more generic. Uh, the first big way that I think perceptions is used within games, and let's talk a little bit about it, is perception and plot. Um, this is where uh, a, a storyteller or a games master has written a clue. Um, and it could be a secret door, it could be a lost message, it could be some kind of information that the group will need to obtain before the story can progress, um, whether it's a concealed note, a secret compartment in a drawer that has some, some, uh, some keys, for example, and, and, a, and an investigation horror game like Call of Cthulhu, this is huge. This is a massive part of this game because half of what you're doing is finding clues and, and being the detective within the scene. Um, so I guess for, 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 for the group, how do you guys use perception in these cases? What do you think some of the pitfalls are? What Where do you think people go wrong? Uh, Eric, I know you've got some pretty strong thoughts about this one. Let's on talk about page. perception <laughs> and clues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I
2: think we can bounce back and forth. I, I think, like I said, a big hang-up I have is I think GMs, GMs can often get kind of caught in – where they overuse perception way too much and think that everything has to be behind a perception role, which is absolutely not <laughs> the way it should be done. Nope. I mean, you know, normally we don't have to, searching a body, right, and this is what I go to as using the the prime example, it is, you know, unless this has this person has a extremely well-hidden pocket Inside a full where it's where it's actually makes sense that they would have to be skillful to find it. But remember, we're, you shouldn't roll if it's something that's just easy to do. Rolls are there to be actual challenges, and I think uh, James may, maybe often get caught up, and it always has to be a roll to to search for something, well, so, um, which is not it shouldn't be. Yeah, Carl. Well, so
0: let me let me pile on a little bit there. <laughs> pile on notice. Anyway, um, let me <laughs> the the other side of that is. You're right. Easy things... I think
1: that was the savage world thing.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you pile on perception rules too, right? Um, Easy things should be easy, right? Again, if you're searching about it, you should be able to search about it. But also, you shouldn't hide important plot elements behind a notice roll because if you fail suddenly you can't move the f- plot forward and there's a lot of times i've seen people where they go hey give me you know give me a perception roll they roll perception they fail and they go Oh, uh, well you know uh, anyway you found this it's like well then why yeah. did you even have them roll and they shouldn't have rolled anyway if it's important from a plot uh standpoint and there's a whole you know there, there's the whole um what's the theory behind like the three clue uh, three clue rule where, you know, if you're going to make it hard to find something, there should be something else they can find that can lead them in the same direction, but never hide plot behind a roll that if you fail, it's gonna come to a grinding halt or you gotta just make it, you know, wave, hand wave it away, then why do it? If there's no consequence for failure, then why roll to die? So I'm totally on the same page. It's it's like the two sides of the same coin. You shouldn't make things hard if they're easy and you should just be able to do them. But also, if it's something you need, don't don't mess with a roll,
1: um, you know. So where it. would you do a dice roll in that instance?
2: Well, I think well, I, is, I want to go ahead, okay. Derek. Go on. Sorry. Okay. Well, well, I, I just, just wanted to mention one thing first is that, you know, often I think when GMs, um, th- there's always that illusion of not choice, but there is that aspect to it right I forget forget what it's called but where you know they went left instead of right so you just move the ogre to the left quantum always ogre. it's the quantum quantum ogre. ogre thank you I yeah I was trying to remember the term so it's the quantum ogre I think you can kind of do the same thing with important information too like maybe have that notice roll but have other ways where they could maybe encounter it using other skills, or down the line somebody would just give it to them. So it's they're always going to get the information, but maybe they sometimes you can set it up where they can feel like they actually earned the information, but still have it. You know, don't just like you said, Carl, don't just have that be the only way they get it. So you just hand it to them. Um, you, you can still give multiple options and still have a fallback where they probably what? will always somehow you know through their actions gain it, but they felt like they gained it. So it's what? still to them. They felt like they gained it. I just want to throw that that as an option. Yeah. Yeah. And and
0: I think what's kind of what I'll throw another thing in there. What notice can do if you want to have a role is provide additional insight into, you know, Mm -hmm. there's the basic. Yeah. I found this thing that I should be finding to move forward, but yeah, do a notice. Okay. Or do a perception and I'll use notice perception, call it. Cause things. I'll use them all interchangeably. Um, Go ahead and, and, roll that and, you oh, you notice that that piece of paper is actually parchment, which it requires, it doesn't, a little bit of inf- extra information makes the person who's more insightful or more perceptive feel like they got something out of it, but it wasn't necessary to move things forward. So I, I think your idea is a good idea um, for sure, that ultimately you have to get that information to them and maybe it makes them you know, I failed to notice, and oh, you didn't find anything. It's like, oh, there should have been something here. I got to figure out another way of getting it. That I guess that would work, not uh, not my preferred way. Not obviously. always, but yeah.
2: some, something to something to sometimes do to to have fallback, just to give people that illusion that they, you know, accomplished this major uh plot point or whatever. Yeah. So, okay. um what do you
1: think? one approach I've seen, I guess, is that sliding scale of success. So yeah. when you might assign a difficulty, and you say, "Oh yeah, make make your perception roll," and they roll a, a twelve, where you get some basic information. Eighteen, you get more. Twenty, you get more. Twenty-five, you get much more. Thirty, you get everything. But the other one I've seen is uh, is when a fail occurs, and you don't you don't fail to give the information, but instead there's a complication based on oh, yeah. on what it might, else might have happened. Yeah. So it could take a lot longer or you could be clumsy in your in your approach, so that you uh, yes, you find it, but you might have you might destroy it in the process, so yes, you find the note, but uh you know you kind of by by opening it to the to the fresh air it collapses in your hands, and you've only got a few seconds to glean the most basic information so that you can kind of get the plot out there, but with some kind of caveat, so it's restricted or or the time frame's a little bit different um and in a similar vein. Uh, if people are trying to move very quickly, like I will quickly search the body because we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Well, then there, then there's a, then there's the opportunity of failure. Well, no, you don't actually find anything because you, unless you want to stop and search properly. And I guess that, that might be another, another element. I, as I, well. I think that's pretty and cool. I, think
0: what, I like that idea of, of failing your notice means you failed to notice something that drives a
2: complication. That's cool. I like that. I like that for sure. Yeah and on and piling on that which is a really cool feature and i've I've done something like like that in Pathfinder where you can also if they fail it you know you tell them the information but to get give them something false that will actually hurt them in the upcoming battle or whatever so like <laughs> they they notice something wrong and that's actually going to be like an actual complication in the battle you know and that could apply to other skills too yeah. but that is yeah. a fun really mechanic to do that was a good good on you just be careful be of the red herrings because
0: players just go
2: off the rail whenever yeah, you get a red herring. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've,
1: I've, I've lost six sessions of a Call of Cthulhu game on oh a red herring once. It's like, oh, no, we don't go here. Let's go to Scandinavia. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, whoops. Um uh Let's talk about piling on for a while here because this is a bit of a problem for me. And I, I, I struggle with this in a lot of ways in fact i've had to make a bit of a house rule around it and that is one player will go i will try and search for secret doors okay make a perception check oh no you failed no you don't find any secret doors the next player goes well i'll try and find secret doors and there's there's a group of five people and you just sit there and you go through the five dice rolls until one of them invariably succeeds of course when the first one succeeds then no one has to bother again or ultimately, if someone rolls very, very high and you hear, uh, oh, no, you don't find anything, then that's it. Everyone just accepts the fact that, that, that it's all been found. How do you guys deal with piling on and that, that inevitable metagaming that occurs around, around perception?
2: I think <laughs> I have a similar house rule to you. I often, when I do run games, I often limit skills to like two people actively making a skill and other, other people can support if it's Savage Worlds or whatever or aid in, in 5e I think another good thing to do if somebody says I want to check for notice or I want to check perception on if there's a secret door you would ask then before they even roll does anybody else want to like one other person right. can so before you know yeah. in your in your example of somebody rolled high so the other person doesn't bother you, you up front say who wants to roll then you guys roll like make sure the whole you know who want the party wants to do this the other party can do something else you know at the same time too so i think house ruling it to limit that say that i don't usually allow more than this set amount of people and kind of being up front for who wants to roll well, well, is the way first, i usually run well it. first off i don't think it's i would call it necessarily a house rule because
0: you can as a game master and you'll see me eric do this in games too it's like okay yeah. who's who's on the roof of the truck well only you two have a chance of noticing this thing going on or you know the the people who have said, "Hey, I want to look around," they're the only ones who have a chance to noticing, and of course, savage worlds, like you mentioned, has this concept of support, so if somebody really wants to help out, they can, but they're still only going to be the one role to figure it out so you really you can pile on, but I don't think that's a I don't want to call that a house rule you're just you're just limiting yeah. who actually has the opportunity, and that's perfectly fine. I mean, you limit who can attack something based on where they're located so you should be able to limit based on who said they're actually going to do something ahead of time.
1: I normally apply uh, one of two kind of limitations. Uh, Normally it'll be a rule of two. So two people can attempt something in one given moment. But the other one I'll often use, and particularly I I do this with kids too, so that they get a sense of what different characters' strengths are, is I'll limit it to people who are proficient in things. So -hmm. who's proficient in perception? Well, you're, you're good at seeing these things, so I'll get you to roll. Um, and only those proficient will be allowed. And that, that allows some kids to then you know, kind of uh, flex their muscles and it calls in on, on kids that might be a bit quieter than normal and uh, it kind of allows them to play a bit more. But that, that limitation, I think, I think, can be very important. Uh, how do you go with metagaming, guys? How do, you, how, how do we <laughs> deal with that? Because that's a huge... This Perception is the metagaming yeah, skill, it's, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's understanding things that your character might not ever understand or as a player you might not know or as a player and you now know based on a dice roll whether things have been found or not how do you deal with it i
0: I don't i'm not that i I, i'm not that worried about metagaming because it's a game and if you really want to limit your enjoyment by trying to use this is not like i read the module beforehand and i know what's happening it's more if you if if it's important Okay, that's fine. You know, that's we let people like make 12 paragraphs worth of conversations in combat even though they should only be able to say one word. All the time we do that. So <laughs> I, I, I don't get too bent out of shape. Let it go. As long as we get rid of the as long as it's not the piling on. That's the only
2: metagaming kind of thing that I'm I'm concerned about. I don't know, Eric, what do you think? <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting question. I honestly different systems approach it differently. Savage Worlds has no systems at all for that i mean it's just not there uh 5e you know i think james it has passive perception passive insight which are optional but that's what they're there for they're there to be kind of the the non-metagaming thing uh pathfinder 2e just has straight secret rules for all that stuff yeah. i mean the gm rolls behind the screen and that uses your modifier so there is no chance of that i i've metagaming is one of those things and we could have a probably we're gonna have a whole episode about it because it is a very <laughs> interesting subject i mean there's a lot there because even the best people. You, you just sometimes can't help but met Like even if you're the, you know, like I personally, I feel about myself as a player that I don't meta game. I try not to meta game, but there's just with perception, especially like it's hard not to, I mean, you, you know, if somebody rolled high on perception and they, and the GM said, Oh, you know, they're, they're not, or, you know, you can see this or if it's insight, right. Uh, they're not lying, then then you'll because you saw that high die, you'll you'll think, oh, that's definitely true. What it might not be, or your character might not act that way, right? So I think I think if we're not if, if we're taking Carl's approach and we're not just doing it, you should definitely incentivize people for playing their characters. If their character would normally, you know, not believe that person or do something different based on a flaw where Savage Worlds has. I think this this is maybe where Savage Worlds deals with this. Like playing a hindrance when the person obviously got a good notice role. Um, we give them, we reward them for that. So I think you can apply that to other systems too, is to incentivize people for maybe not always just going along with the, so, the knowledge they get from a higher. Yeah, interesting. Or um
0: don't meta game and then you'll get meta currency, right? So in Savage Worlds it's a Benny. Yeah. There can be
2: <laughs> there can what well,
0: yes. in D and D you've got um inspiration inspiration advantage. and so it's like don't meta An game, yeah. and i'll give you a metagame tool i like that that's
2: <laughs> i i mean you know there, there there's people will and it's not because people are trying to metagame no no and no. it's not because people are not trying to be their character i think we often you know we play these games for hours on ends we, we play them for weeks and months and years so we often get you know just kind of caught in the rhythm of things right no it's another notice roll we've done these a million times so ha- having a way to like kind of forcibly makes you or encourages you greatly to kind of mix it up or not maybe jump off of somebody else's role is, I think it's a good thing. I think we should, we should incentivize players for doing that. I mean, we're James, humans. What, is, what is your main ways that yeah, you do it?
1: I've, I've fallen in love with passives. Um, there's no yeah. question. It, um, uh, in the past, I used to do secret rolls with someone at someone's skill and you'd do the maniacal, I'm a dungeon master, listen to me clack. Well, oh, no, what's he rolling now? It's kind of, you know, freaking people out, um, which I'll now do as stealth to uh, to compare against someone's passive. Um, in the past I, I also used to pre roll perception rolls for, for each character. Oh,
2: so I'd have I, I might roll yep.
1: ten times and just have yeah. them in front of me and then roll a D D, D ten just to give myself a, a kind of randomness about it just to say, Oh yeah, and then I'd cross them off so that there's a opportunity for success and failure as you as you go through it. I'm leaning more and more and more into passive into passive roles now. I'm finding them um, much easier to use and it's rewarding and I find it's quicker to quicker quicker in the game it, it avoids some pitfalls um, that you'll often get and in fact this is one of the, the comments that uh one of the dungeon masters gave to me which was which was this question i might ask the question and then answer it um uh, yeah how do you avoid the i move 10 foot down a passageway and go i check for traps i check for traps i check for traps or even worse, the one time you don't say, I like, check for traps, and then the DM goes, "Oh, you didn't say oh, okay. it. Now you've fallen in the pit." Oh. And for me, percept- uh, passives is the way you do that. Um, you know, if you've got a, a, a strong passive perceiving character, and for those who don't know, in fifth edition, you take your perception ability, add ten to it, and that's your passive. So anything, anything below that. You can kind of see, you can guess automatically. Anything above it, well, you might have to actively be searching for it, which means the dice roll. So a good example is I've got a very perceptive rogue in one of my games, has maximised investigation, maximised perception. And if they walk past a secret door, I just say, you feel a breeze from under your ankles. There is a, there's something behind that wall. You can feel it. You can feel the change in, in air pressure. And um, it, as you gaze, you can actually see the vague outline. I'll, I'll just say it because it, it saves that issue of having to move yeah. forward. In a similar vein, if you're – a uh, great example of this is, say, you get attacked while half the group's asleep because I, I do this all the time. We sneak up on people and ambush them in the dark. A lot of, a lot of games masters will say, all right, let's roll perception to see if you wake up. Um, and often it can be deadly. You know, suddenly three or four people fail that role and the one guy that was awake on on guard duty just gets cut down, even though that they're fighting and screaming and yelling. In in this instance, passive perception, the people who with high perception just wake up and get to do stuff. Um, It just kind of allows for speed of games. So that's how I run it. I've fallen in love with the passives. Um, And and I'm now even using it for games that don't have it. I'm kind of running it in Call (laughs) of Cthulhu now that, that doesn't have rules for it i'm just saying like if you've got a if you've got a spot hidden of over 70 percent you'll you'll be aware of this as opposed to having to roll and forcing people to roll stuff that they that they should succeed anyway if they if they have put that many points in that and are that skilled in it can i
2: throw in a different uh take on it too um which I, I do like passives a lot i think if you don't if it's not in a game that you have or you may not like that and this is something that pathfinder 2e does very well it has these kind of um there's different modes one's an encounter mode but one's exploration mode and one thing you can do is you can just say i'm searching that's what i'm doing for exploration and i actually now use this when i Savage worlds when i do Savage worlds and i will use this too and i did this in dnd um where I just kind of take it like, what do you do? Like, we're exploring, say, a dungeon or we're exploring overland travel. travel. What, what is your role? What is your role? What is your role? So somebody just says, I'm searching. I might just have them make one role and that's the yep. role for everything. <laughs> and yep. if, if, if there's a hidden creature, if there's, you know, if, if they say I'm searching maybe for like hidden stuff, I make, I just have them do one role. I'm not going to have them search every single time. Um, also, I've done stuff where it's like, they say they're searching if they're about to trigger a trap i'm like okay roll notice right now just roll notice and in savage worlds i'd be like roll notice a trap's about to go off because because they can use bennies right so i think it's important Savage Worlds encourages spending a meta currency for that but other games just just having that notice roll be something that triggers when they would encounter it because that's what they said they were doing i you guys talked before about the old school way of like, well, you didn't search a drawer, so you didn't find that. Like, no, I think that's just horrible because that's just going to slow – like you said, it slows everything down. I think it can be expected if we're if – we're, you know, these people are professional adventurers, right? That's what they yeah. are. They're professional at what they're doing. Like, if they're saying, I'm searching this area, that's what I want to do, they're going to search everywhere. They're going to look. And then – so the role there is the, the – the, fir- the one role is there to actually determine what – how good they do. So, uh. Instead of so passive, one, one, you could do one that of the
1: one. Uh, yeah. one of the the strange anomalies of old school Dungeons and Dragons used to be okay. So what do you do? Well, I look at the wall and I push, prod, twist, turn, <laughs> lift, smell. And you list oh my God. every like, little possible yeah. function that you kind of do with every little uh, object. And, it, and, it, sure you, and if it's, you, it's a tomb can. of horrors,
0: you die anyway. If it's a tomb of horrors, you're gonna die yeah, anyway. right. no <laughs> matter how much you poke, that's... prod, whatever. You're gonna die anyway. So, um, yeah, Eric, I think you got. I believe in the same thing, and, but part of it's dungeon design too, right? I mean, yeah. <laughs> if if you if there's yeah. a chance of a trap every five feet, people are going to check every five feet. But if you just kind of bucket it, you're going down the hall. You get to the door, roll. You know, you roll and notice, oh, halfway down, you notice this thing, right? Um, or so I, I think you're spot on, um, and I, I do agree. Pathfinder Two E does does a good job of codifying that and saying here's how things just should be done in exploratory mode, exploration mode, exploratory, exploration mode. Both work. Whatever. And the other, other element, the I guess,
1: too, is, <laughs> is providing some descriptive information that would allow just players to get a sense of what's going on here and then allow role to shortcut the problem in a lot of ways. So yeah. you see two statues with ruby red eyes on either side of the, uh, on either side of the hallway, uh, you know, uh, across the floor, you see some ornate glyphs at the far end of the wall. You see an open moored mouth that, and, and a faint smell of something that, that smells a little bit like ozone. Well, you've given the players a clue to understand this trap here. And you've, There's some things you can interact with. There's some choices you can make, but then making that perception or investigation role might, discount or add a a bit of clue as to what might be going on here, a little bit more than you might you might ordinarily have. I guess that's the other the other way to use traps in some ways. Yep. Um, Moving on to I guess the second part and um and, and we can talk for hours as it looks like we can. The other part of perception I guess is as a foil to stealth or sneaking or hiding. This is the hide and seek element to to, uh, to perception roles within within role-playing games um, so in, in often cases you're when you're trying to spring an ambush where you're trying to sneak up on some monsters it'll be the monsters that have to roll perception to see if they're being ambushed but more often than not it's the players it's the players that are sleeping in the hotel room that are about to be ambushed by by hidden frogmen assailants in call of Cthulhu or it could be a carefully placed goblin ambush on a trail uh, that you're about to walk into. And it's about how do you deal with this in terms of who wins, who loses, who notices, who doesn't. And in some ways this goes into surprise, which has a whole other different different side of mechanic. But uh, are there any hard and fast rules, any ways that you guys deal with ambushes and perception? And what are some of the pitfalls that you've fallen into, if you pardon the pun? <laughs>
0: you want me to start (laughs) okay um well i i think one of the interesting things is the system i love savage worlds and i play it a lot helps a little bit with that because you can tell the players that there is a there's a band of goblins behind a tree let's see if you notice some and then you can play your bennies if you want to or you just go ahead and get surprised you can do that um Or if you're not, then, and and Savage Worlds has um, uh, opposed roles too. So you're really, their Mm -hmm. stealth versus your notice, it's really codified into the ability to kind of find what's going on um, with respect to somebody sneaking around. I'm not sure how modern uh, Dungeons & Dragons does it versus kind of the, again, the older school. It'd be much more, is the player keeping their eyes out for what's going on. or are they being very careful and looking around? Um, so I don't know, Eric, do you have a different uh, perception on that?
2: No, I mean, like, like you said, I, I think every system has its, I mean, every, every different system has its system in place for that. I, I, uh, James, I think you probably have a twist on it for 5e. I And mean, 5e, I think, you know, the passive perceptions are really mostly used for monsters as a check and for 2e that's exactly what it's used i mean every skill has a, a dc version of it which is 10 plus your skill so when people yep. are rolling perception to find a hidden creature um you you can either use the dc of their stealth or they can actively roll stealth too and compare it to the player's dc for their perception um so i often do think it's good where savage rolls uses opposed rolls i think it's quicker to use you know where one thing's rolling one thing's using a dc um I think it's better always if players are rolling. I think it's more fun, uh, you know, and I think it saves time if the GMs are using their DC anyways, but I think a good rule to fall on is always having players roll, GMs use DC. As far as ambushes, I mean, they all have their own rules. I I think ambushes, I don't know. I don't know. What what do you what is your take on ambushes in D&D because I think that's the hot topic here, James. Where that's there's a, a lot of controversy over way it's used? Is it too powerful? Because, you know, 2E, Pathfinder 2E, they just took that out. There's really nothing. I think the only thing that happens is you can have a negative to your initiative and that's it. There's no free rounds of combat, nothing like that. Um, Fifth
1: fifth edition is problematic in some ways because the mechanic says use use a passive, okay? So uh, every monster will have their passive perception score listed and then the players will roll stealth to see if they if they're able to be uh, unseen and unheard before they they trigger this ambush. So if we're looking at a player led ambush issue, that's a that's a whole other thing. And the reason why it's complicated is because there's a lot of abilities that will give you bonuses on 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 being able to be stealthy. Passing that trace? Passing Sorry, out that trace is, out a that's, that is the perfect one. give yeah. plus ten to your stealth rolls. <laughs> now a lot of monsters have a passive perception of below ten. And so there is zero way that these <laughs> monsters can actually see you or hear you if you're casting Pass Without Trace, and should you even need a dice roll if the DC is less than what you'll automatically get. And so in a lot of ways, this then becomes, you get an absurdity where, where players can never be perceived by their enemies and foes. And, and in, in often ways, I, it frustrates the hell out of me because you'll end up with a 40-minute discussion between players about how to effectively execute the perfect ambush that, of course... Fails after the very first dice roll. Yeah. Um, uh, the the other and and of course there's there's other ways of looking at this and and we'll, I think we can talk about this about stealth a in another episode. But the idea being the guy in, in plate mail armor will always make noise and just ruin mm-hmm. that 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 concept. In terms of ambushing players, I mean, I love an ambush. I love a surprise attack. I love a, the, the invisible creature coming out, assassin coming out of nowhere and stabbing people uh, in the middle of the feast and the king is, is killed. And Because it's great plot and it's great drama and it's got good visual. You know, having, having a, a surprise foe appear out of nowhere makes for really exciting yeah. storytelling. My issue is is if you've got that passive perception of 16, 17, eight, eight, there's no way that they're ever gonna get surprised. And so I think it's a little bit fraught in and I and I and honestly I don't know the answer apart from the one player that's got high perception so suddenly knows what they're doing. I think one so thing you
2: can do oh, sorry, okay.
0: I was just gonna say, what about uh, subterfuge in the sense of the way these ambushes are put together and, and the the perception they see something that's not quite right, like they they see that there's some bushes or whatever on the trail not in the right spot, and then that clues them in. But that, but that could be somebody setting that, making it obvious. And then, I mean, do they get passive no matter what? Even if somebody's smart and they've set that's, it up and said, a- "Oh, this this is the honeypot. You'll fall into this one," and then that lets me take it take you on. It just feels like it doesn't matter, right? I mean, once your attention's on something, it should be not on something else. But <laughs> I don't know, that's, Eric. That's I'll cut pretty you much off, exactly so. what
2: I was going to say. No, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. And then to that point, James, I think this is this comes into uh, what I was going to say: know your players and play to their strengths and play to their weaknesses. If you know you have a player who has this high perception, uh, this massive passive perception, if we're talking about five e, then when you're setting an ambush, if it's if it's somebody who's ambushing the players, they're normally going to be a smart tactical experience group right so they might have known this person is really good you know they're they're just really reactive they're really good at spotting things so have maybe maybe you know For this ambush to make it interesting, have somebody go in and distract them, like have something else happen to distract them, then maybe make them roll or something. Don't just rely on their passive perception or mess with them in some way. So there is some tension there. So you can still have those moments because there should always you should always have the ability to surprise people, because like you said, James, that's that's a really interesting mechanic. It's, It's high drama. It's. It's really good for the narrative. You know, you want to mix things up. You don't always have the same fights happen the same way every time. So I think this goes into knowing your players a lot and tailoring things specifically to take advantage of players' abilities or weaknesses. And also, you know, you always want to bring stuff in to let players feel like they're heroes, no matter what. And this will go into something else that I think we'll talk about it later. But is that what you do often, James? Do you like Will you have somebody mess with the player to kind of allow uh, that ambush to happen?
1: Yeah, what sometimes after the initial start of a fight, I will have other creatures still lying in wait so that we'll so that you can stagger the ambush in some way so that okay. we might so that the initial combat has happened, we have hidden assailants waiting as either reinforcement or as a second wave of attack. Um and then as players maneuver around the around the battlefield, I'll I'll trigger a perception check then or or trigger their passive so they can see that the, those bushes are moving and, and you hear the sound of move there there are more forces coming your way from there but I'll generally allow a rounds notice to let people know that that's coming in some ways unless uh, unless they just happen to just accidentally stumble in on it <laughs> um, um, and, and in some ways again it's for dramatic reasons in a lot of ways I throw the rule book out the window at that point and just go know, it-, it makes for better story
0: it feels like something you definitely want to talk about, right? Um, Like Eric, you said, know your players. Uh, I'm not necessarily saying it's a session zero type thing, but understanding that, you know, somebody has got a high perception that they understand that they're not always going to magically see everything. If that's because it is dramatically interesting. Like if I use this subterfuge or this, you know, misdirection, it may happen. And I don't want people to be like, pissed off honestly because i've got such a high perception i should see these guys you know i should basically have x-ray vision for the forest um, and see these guys coming yes. through so not necessarily session zero but it should be kind of understood and and you know if you if you talk to your players about it i guess that would be an important for those folks who have that high level of perception or, or what have you
1: and i guess it goes back to that level of consistency at all times doesn't it so because i like i say because i'm i um, I uh, temper these ambushes with the idea that someone with high perception spots the spots the secret door, so that they get some wins. That they then get some challenges. You know that you don't you don't just have them. It's not random in terms of whether they succeed or whether they fail or not. Um, one last thing, I guess, before we wind up this topic is uh, is one last little question that I was actually sent by a dungeon master, uh, a bear, which is about invisibility because invisibility is a big Everyone loves it. People want to use it. It's a very low-level spell in Dungeons & Dragons. only a second-level spell, so you can use it all the time. Invisible assailants and how you actually deal with it, um, because it's very complicated, I find. Uh, Fifth edition doesn't do it very well um, in that it just gives you disadvantage on a roll. So most people think invisible means I can't be seen, but in fifth edition Dungeons & Dragons, your footprints can still be seen. You can sense the movement. It's almost kind of like you see the shimmering, of almost predator style, but that's not how most people think of it. Uh, Invisible is a whole other, a whole other <laughs> ball game when it comes to perception. Any yeah. any tips, any hints? I mean, we're, I'm using virtual tabletops, for example. So I'll just hide the token, but then what do you do? You have players guess where the creature might be. What do you guys do? How do you guys deal with invisibility in, in your games?
2: Orally. Well. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, every, again, every
2: <laughs> system has its own rules about this. So I, 5e has very lackluster. Savage Worlds invisibility is usually there's a negative on notice rolls to notice them. Once they are noticed or once combat begins, they usually get a first round. It's just a minus four to hit them. So it's kind of similar to 5e in that way where, you know, once they've been noticed, it's, it's like the, you, you kind of know where they are, but it's still hard to see them. But there's an initial part of it. Where they're hard to see. Pathfinder 2e is like a whole other ball game where there's different states of perception in that game. So there's like uh, concealed, um, detected, uh, undetected, uh, unknown. There's all, there's all these different states. Sounds <laughs> uh, complicated. You can do seek. You can do seek, which can either be a burst or a cone. And some people they know. Yeah. So it's this whole other thing. They they take it the other direction from 5e, which is a little on the I'm on the fence about. I like to kind of go in between all of those. I mean, with a virtual tabletop, yeah, you can make them. In Invisible, I think, have them at first... Invisibility, like how Savage Rules does it, should be something that's extremely hard to see. Once battle begins, though, and if somebody has successfully detected them, you know, you can then make it known that you kind of know where this person is, but then... And everybody else gets kind of knows where they are but they have that minus to hit them or whatever um or they yeah. have disadvantage but the initially they don't it's like initially it's extremely hard to to hit them and then if that character that NPC chooses to then go hide you know start that process over again like if they then spend their turn to then go you know re kind of go somewhere else and hide make their token invisible and make it kind of suspenseful again for the players to to even know where they are and have them do another notice check so I think it's it's kind of dynamic in that way. And like I said, depending on the system, but I generally kind of play that way across the board. Um, I don't know when, when you do invisibility with savage worlds, what do you do? Carl?
0: Well, again, savage worlds, like, I think you hit on all the points. Yeah. I mean, it, it it codifies it's hard to do things, but it's not, it's more like the predator that that James brought up. It's once I kind of know where you are, I can see the shimmer. I get a feel for it, but I'm still not sure I'm swinging at your arm or I'm swinging at your body because you're basically invisible. And so that's where the negative comes into. Um, yeah, invisibility is uh, – I don't think I do very well on it. But, you know, honestly, it, it it's uh, – I feel like it's kind of based on the situation at hand where, you know, if they did a really good job with their invisibility and they thought about it and, you know, they're hiding their tracks and everything, yeah – Give them a little extra boost there, but once combat starts, um, people are kicking dirt at you, and you know, so it's just that negative, and so it makes sense with the disadvantage in in D and D.
1: But gone are the days where every adventurer needs a bag of flour or a handful of ball bearings to find the uh, find the invisible person.
2: But you should, but you should reward <laughs> that's a whole them another they episode. do something like that. I mean,
1: <laughs> well, <sorry. laughs> I
2: mean, Savage Worlds has that built in with tests, but I think that's something, like, if you are being dynamic with it and you have maybe have the, even though they're now detected, they they choose to go off and hide again. Like, if a player says, oh, I spend my action doing this, then make it make it so then that person can't hide anymore, right? I think it's... We want to re- reward creative and dynamic play. I don't know. Yes. D- does that ever happen with you, James, or in your games? Oh yeah,
1: uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, you know me, I like invisible guys that just go away and hide under a table uh, and come back. Ah, so oh, I'm down. back again. You know, it's got to yeah. be the endless ambush. Uh, I'm, I'm a big sucker for it. <laughs> Endlessly ambushing players. It's a, it's a great way to spend a, a Sunday afternoon.
2: Um. Oh, so. Okay. Oh, I, I was. Can, can we just touch on a couple more things? I think. One thing I wanted to bring up real quick was that um, one of the pitfalls, I think, is people overuse notice checks for a lot of things. Um, Hmm. Something in in, in D&D I've seen, you know, not laziness, but people just be like, well, just do a notice. When you're like, well, that's really investigation, right? I think that that's a pitfall that can often happen. Um, In Savage Worlds, there's different edges that apply to different things. So some of them maybe just apply to, you know, just applies to noticing things like in the environment where it wouldn't apply to looking for clues so i think we kind of definitely make sure you're rewarding across the spectrum another thing is i think we should reward players for dynamically using other skills and maybe bring that up to players so while something might normally be a notice check if you know a player is really good in science maybe offer them to use science if it's applicable instead of notice where it could make sense Where even though it might be something like you know you're trying to notice footprints because they might have science they could tell that you know the it looks disturbed there. Rocks are usually this way. This type of rock is this way. So maybe let them use science with maybe a negative or something. So I think we can mm-hmm. we can encourage players to not just rely on notice so much or perception by rewarding them to use, to, you know, letting them use their skills that they're good at, maybe with negatives or something. So I think it's something to think about. Um, I don't know. Do you guys ever do that at all? Or I, I, I oh, like absolutely. the idea of yeah, un-
0: and- unbundling it, but I, I'm not sure I do it too much, but maybe I will now.
1: Yes, it's very much part of the Call of Cthulhu, even the World of Darkness, is that uh, the skill that you have not only is how you can do things, but if you notice things related to that skill as well. So a mechanical repair, for example, not only uh, allows you to repair something, it also notices if something's been sabotaged. So, yeah, there's certainly scope for most games to be able to do that. Yeah, couldn't agree more.
0: Excellent. Well, I think um, we did a pretty good job of covering that topic with a lot of good input. Um, I thank everyone for uh, tuning in. I hope everyone got something out of it. Uh, remember to drop by MasteringTheRPG.com. And if you've got questions, you've got... And we, and we saw that we had some Game Masters DMs asking some questions that we helped answer with respect to Perception. If you got, you know, even you need to adjudicate something where you're arguing, hey, that's fine too. Just drop us a note at Game Master at masteringtherpg.com. Both of those are one word. And uh, if you like the show, hopefully soon enough we'll be on all the pod captures. It seems to be harder than I thought. So if you're listening to this, you listen by getting to the link. <laughs> and uh, we appreciate everybody listening and uh, hope you'll continue to listen. Uh, Once again, this is Carl, Eric, and James saying uh, thank you so much for uh, being here with us. Have a great night. Happy gaming.